0: When Paul writes to the saints at Philippi, it is a letter written to some of his dearest friends. And it is a letter to a young local church that was birthed through the power of the gospel and is sustained by the power of the gospel and whose only hope for the future is found in the gospel. This is Philippians and we are Mercy Village Church. You can learn more at www.mercyvillage.church. My wife and I were talking this week. One thing that was really freeing to us, and I've had this conversation with other people, not just with my wife. One thing that was really freeing to us, actually helped us be more fervent in prayer, was coming to a real understanding, even through like reading the Psalms, for instance, of the honesty that the psalmists have when they pray to God. I think if you're brought up in church, where, and prayer is done formally, and that is a, a gift from God. Formal prayer, even repetitive uh, prayer, is, is a gift. But we can get the impression that all prayer has to sound this maybe formal way. Whereas we read the psalmist, we see them being deeply honest with God about their circumstances and situations, about their pain, about their hurt, about their desperation for. For God's help. One of the things that I found myself praying sometimes is, God, I don't want to pray right now. Make me want to pray. It's okay to pray that. You know why? God knows your heart already. Right? And when you come with that posture of desperation, you're in the right place. To pray, God, I... I don't love you as much as I should. Make me love you more. God, I'm not feeling it. That might be an American or, a, or, a, or this generation way of saying it. I'm not feeling it. Make me know your presence. It's okay, and in fact, I, I, it's encouraged, I think, to come to God with a spirit of desperation. I can't, you can there's a void. There's something missing. I don't have what it takes. I need you to, to change me. That's where we start today because that's where we're going to finish. That desperation by God's grace ever since the fall in the garden, Adam and Eve, our desperation has been redeemed by God to be a, a designed mechanism through which we know our need for Him. We know our need for the presence of God. And so as we come to this end of maybe this, not maybe, this part of of Philippians where he's emphasizing what it looks like to be kingdom citizens. We've seen two things and we'll see it even more clearly today that behaving like a citizen of heaven is an absolute must. It is for the child of God behaving like a citizen of heaven is an absolute must, but at the same time only God can make you desire and accomplish this requirement. It is an important thing that we, as we've said it over the last three weeks, look, sound, smell like citizens of the kingdom. It's only God that can can do that work in our lives. And we'll actually see how that's an encouragement for us today. So, Father, today what we know not, please teach us. What we are not, please make us. And what we have not, please give us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Uh, I'm going to save verses 12 and 13 for the very end. Uh, I'm going to take uh, pastoral license. I'm not skipping over them. We, you'll see why I, I'm going to save those for the end today. Um, we're preaching verse by verse through the book of Philippians. Today, we're in verses 12 through 18, but we're going to start in verse 14. If you like outlines, verses 14 through 16, we're going to see the kingdom citizens shining light. Again, just to kind of fill you in, in verse 27 of chapter one, Paul starts this um, portion of the letter where he's telling the citizens uh, or the citizens of Philippi, who are the saints uh, at the church of Philippi, what it looks like to be kingdom citizens. What is some of the marks of our citizenship, our heavenly citizenship? We'll come back to what some of those marks were a little bit Later, and he actually in verse fourteen gives us two more specific marks of what it looks like to be a kingdom citizen, and um, these are the last two uh, hyper specific marks that he's going to give in this little section that runs through verse eighteen of chapter two. He says, "Do all things." Now, before last week, he said, "Do nothing." Today, he says, "All things." This is this is the totality of your living. In the totality of your living, do all things without grumbling or questioning or disputing. I said The reason this Bible is all duct taped up because it's old. And so mine says questioning, disputing what's great about Greek and the language and what doesn't always work out. And I said this last week with English is that sometimes a Greek word will carry with it the, the meaning of several English words. And so that's why if you were to maybe read a, a King James Version or an English Standard Version or whichever, you might s- see the different words that seemingly mean the same thing or close to the same thing. It's just a way of, of translating. This is one of my favorite Greek words, though. And I said last week I wasn't saying more word Greek, but it, it's, it goes um, uh, go-goose-go, right? Like that's the word, and it sounds like grumbling. And it points back to, you remember the Israelites when they come out of Egypt, God's with them in a pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. There's bread falling out of the sky for them to eat every morning. There's water coming out of rocks. It's like this beautiful illustration of the presence of God with them, but yet, what do they do the whole time? They grumble. They complain. Uh, that word, gagutso, 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 that just, that was their posture, right? Like, they're just always grumbling, complaining. Paul says that's not a mark of, of kingdom citizenship. So I think the question, and we've been, was we test our citizenship as kingdom citizens, is that, are, are you that type of person? Am I that type of person who's complaining? Often. Right? You find, right? Um, no matter what comes your way, you can always maybe find the negative aspect of it and, and complain about it. You know, that's baked into life, by the way, that, that there will always be parts about life that are seemingly, in your own mind, worthy of complaining about it. I'm not saying that life is a bed of roses. But there are those among us, myself included, sometimes, who tend to just be complaining, 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 never satisfied. It's not a mark. Of kingdom citizenship. The next thing he says is stop disputing. So, one, stop grumbling. Two, stop disputing. This is a person who who finds reasons for argument, reasons for dissension, reasons for division in everything. They don't have any sort of hierarchy in their mind about which battles are worth fighting. They'll just fight them all. They've never seen a battle they aren't willing to, to fight. They'll fight just as hard for their spouse to take out the garbage as they will for something that is maybe deeply personal or even deeply biblical. Now, not that any of us would ever be that way, but, but maybe right in just some mystical person out there that you know is like that. If we're honest, like I've had days like that, where everything is worth fighting about even though it really isn't. Paul says, not a mark of kingdom citizenship. In all of our living, we are to be without grumbling and without complaining. In all of our living. And the result of this, he says in verse 15, not just this lack of grumbling and complaining, but also all the other marks he's talked about since chapter 1, verse 27. The result of this verse 15 is that You may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. There will be shining lights that testify to the goodness of God, shining lights that testify to the finished work of Jesus on the cross. We will shine bright in the world around us as we become citizens who Look, sound, and smell like the kingdom. We, we've said this all three weeks. Like to be a citizen of West Virginia is to smell like a pepperoni roll. It's to uh, sound like John Denver's country roads. Like there, there's there's things that identify you. We've made the joke too that if you say Appalachia, you're not from Appalachia. That's just an automatic like given. So Paul is saying that as you become marked by these things, these marks of citizenship of the kingdom, the world around you will see the light and the beauty of God. The invisible God is made visible through his people, living marked by the marks of kingdom citizenship. That is the reality we shine Right. And notice, too, that it is against the backdrop of this crooked and twisted world. And what I love about this is that this letter was written in around 62 A.D. And so what you have to know is that you're not the first one to live in a generation that's twisted and crooked. It's been that way since the fall. Sexuality has been twisted since the fall. Politics have been twisted since the fall. Even though good things in life can be twisted since the fall. That's just how it's been. Even religion itself can be twisted for personal gain or selfish desires. Things are twisted. So so you're not living in and that's not me saying that th- that there aren't things that you should be concerned about happening in the world around you. I'm simply saying we're not the first. It's been happening since 62 AD. It's been happening long before that. But that means that there's always been and still is an opportunity for us as the people of God to shine bright in this world by becoming more and more like Jesus, by looking more and more like citizens of the, the kingdom. And Paul doesn't want them to just shine bright kind of like a flare of brightness but he wants it to be long term verse 16 holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of christ i may be proud that i did not run in vain or labor in vain what paul's saying is that that we should shine bright to the end the day of christ is is that coming day of of christ's return when all of us will be in the heavenly kingdom right for not just as a as something that we hope for, but something that will be seen and, and known. On that day, until that day, resting and uh, in the promise of God to help us become more and more like kingdom citizens to shine bright in this world. Holding fast, he says, to the word of life. Which translated very little literally would, and I think this is so interesting. The word that is of life, like originates from Life. And so, in a sense, and I'll try to make sense of this to you, there are words that lead to life in this book. So you could say that they're words of life. They help us know what's right. They help us know true, what true life looks like in this book. But what this is saying is that these are the words that spill out of life. That the true life Good life that is ours in God through Christ. As those words of life spill out, it's this. We have it right here, the truth of the the gospel. That, in a sense, these are both the words that lead to life, and they're the words that come from the life, the source of life. They lead us to the source of life. They come from the source of life. And so we hold fast to these words, in particular, the truths of the gospel. And talk about humility, and that's what I love about the Apostle Paul. And you see this in a lot of his letters. And really, in this letter to the Philippians, he just loves this church deeply. You can tell in the way the letter is written. But he says that that where is he going to find his pride, right? And not not an evil pride, but that, that I may be proud Not necessarily, again, he does tie it back to himself that I did not run in vain or or labor in vain, but he's not basing that on like his personal accomplishments, but on what he sees in the people of God at the church of Philippi. His joy, his measures of success are what Jesus does in the lives of others. And so that's what we're called to as the people of God, to be these shining lights for the kingdom. So let's remember now that this is our third week. I've said this under our header of kingdom citizenship. We've been stacking up marks of kingdom citizenship, what it looks like to be a citizen of the kingdom. We've been exhorted to certain things that uh, we should do as citizens. Now Paul's going to wrap up this cluster of verses that are all about kingdom citizenship with hope that we deeply need. And that is this that for the child of God, our joy is invincible. There is nothing that can steal the joy of a child of God. Philippians 2.17, watch what I mean here. He says, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. He talks about two groups of people, and he talks about what's happening in their lives. He talks about himself, He talks about the saints of Philippi. For the saints of Philippi, the language he uses is the sacrificial offering of your faith. There's a sacrificial offering of your faith. Now, Paul uses some terminology like this throughout his letters when he says that we are living sacrifices. He says that we offer sacrifices of praise. The reason I mention that is because sometimes when Paul talks about us pouring our lives out as sacrifices, he's not talking about death. He's talking about in our living, that in our living, our lives are sacrificial offerings of worship and praise to God. And that's true that so he's not saying that everyone who reads this letter is going to be martyred right in the near future for their faith, although some of them may experience that. What he is saying is that even in your living, your life is to be sacrificially lived. For the glory of God, for the sake of his kingdom. He says your life is a is a sacrificial offering of their faith. He means following Jesus even in our living is sacrificial. But what he'd said before was about himself, that his life is a drink offering. Now, he might mean generally that it's sacrificial in his living, but I don't necessarily think so because he uses this term one other place and it's in Second Timothy four six. And when he does it there, he's explicitly referring to the fact that he's going to die. He knows it at that point when he's writing Second Timothy. Right now he's most likely in a prison in Rome and, and death is, is a certain possibility. He says, "If here, in Timothy, he says it like it's a done deal, that he's going to be poured out as a drink offering. Here he says, "If I'm to be poured out as a drink offering, what he's saying is that not only is it a sacrifice to the glory of God in our living, are we to live sacrificial lives in our living?" He says, "But even in our dying, it is a sacrifice. Of praise to our Lord. That's what he's getting at. He said, Even if I die, it'll be another element of the collaborate sacrifice of the church. The imagery is Old Testament sacrifices. There would be times that when you brought an animal sacrifice, you would along with it bring a food offering of grain that you would pour out beside the altar and you would bring a drink offering of wine that you would pour out beside the altar. So it's like this uh, multi-step sacrifice. You have the food, you have the, the, the sacrifice, the animal sacrifice, you have the food offering, you have the drink offering, and he's saying, while well, your lives are a sacrifice. My life and my death will be a sacrifice to the glory of God. But here's the, the takeaway. The most important part about it is that throughout it all, he says, I'm glad and I'm rejoicing. Even in death. Even if my life is poured out as a drink offering, I rejoice. He can say that because just a few verses before this, he said, to live is Christ, to die is gain. He knows that in his living, the glory of God, the fame of Jesus, and in his dying, gain. In the presence of God, he will He will be. So he's glad and rejoicing. And we should rejoice too, verse 18. He says to the church at Philippi, likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Paul didn't just love them, they loved Paul. They don't know if they're ever going to see Paul again. They know that he's in prison. They know there's a likelihood that he's going to die. That would have brought sadness to their hearts. He's saying, don't just see the pain, see the beauty. Even in the dying, you can rejoice. Because in the dying, I am home where I've always wanted to be. Psalm 116, verse 15 says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Paul knows where he's going after death. He doesn't fear it. He says you can rejoice in my home going to be with God. So, let's recap where we've been. I've I got some really cool charts that everybody loves. Everybody loves a good chart, right? It's not maps this time. but We've looked at the marks of kingdom citizenship over the last three weeks, and they've come to us primarily in two ways, things that we should do, things that we shouldn't do. Kind of like body odor, right? I don't teach at the middle school, but I know people who do. Um, like, there's two ways, it sounds at least from what I've heard, that it goes. You either forget to wear the deodorant and you smell like BO, or, you know, on the 10th day of creation, God gave us axe body spray. Um, and so that's a joke, but they will overdo it with the axe body spray, right? Am I right? I got my middle school people. <laughs> okay. So you like, it's, so sometimes there's a way you should not smell. And well, both times for them, it's a way you should not smell. But but you get what I'm saying. There's a way we should smell. There's a way we should look. There's a way we should act. And there's a way we shouldn't. And and what we've seen is pursue unity is something we should be doing. Being courageous is something we should be doing. Pursuing unity. It's not a typo. He said it twice for a reason is something we should be doing. And being humble is something we should be doing. He came uh, to unity twice. Things we should not be doing, selfish ambition, conceit, which was vain glory, like the desire for your own glory and and fame, grumbling and disputing. These are the do's and the don'ts. You measure your citizenship against these. And then we had just some general other marks that we'd have a biblical understanding of suffering, that we would submit to the kingship of Jesus, that we would just have general obedience to the word of God that we would live in a reality of our invincible joy. We just looked at that and that we would shine bright as kingdom citizens. So when you put that all together, and I got great news for you, that's not all of it either. That's just from a few verses in Philippians. There's there's more marks of what it looks like to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Way more that could be up there. So the question at this point, as we come to the kind of the end of this section of Philippians is, How are you doing? How am I doing? Do you, do I look, smell, sound like kingdom citizens? And that's supposed to be heavy. One of the reasons I put them all up there on one slide is so that we can feel in a a very real way. Hopefully you can identify a few things on there. If you're like me, I need some work in that area of my life. I'm not necessarily shining like stars in the universe when it comes to this or that. That's the way we're supposed to feel. That's not where God's going to leave us. I promise you that. But you should feel the tension of, oh, man, I'm coming up short. Or maybe in your own time reading the word of God, there's been other things that God's laid on your heart last week, month or so, where you're like, I need help to be more reflect the kingdom of heaven in that way. And I'm not I'm not there. And the, what makes it even more important is what we saw in verses uh, nine through eleven. Therefore, this is after the testament of Jesus's humility, It says, therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him a name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father one of the things we talked about last week when we looked at that is is every knee is going to bow, but when you bow matters. Like in this life, to say I'm going to submit my life to, to being a citizen of the kingdom. Through the finished work of Jesus on the cross, I'm brought into a relationship with God, and, and I'm going to live according to the word of God and according to the ways of God. That that leads to life. Those who bow after on the other side are bowing because they're required to. But the pathway for them is is destruction regardless. So we must submit ourselves to the realities of Scripture and the truth of the Gospel. That just adds weight. So test your citizenship. Are you a kingdom citizen? It's a big deal. Verse 12. Therefore, my beloved... As you have always obeyed, as you have always looked, smelled, sounded like kingdom citizens. In my presence, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. What he's saying is that you shouldn't flippantly take these commands, these calls, these expectations, of being a kingdom citizen who looks, smells and, t- and, and sounds like the kingdom. Don't take it lightly. You should seriously be reflecting upon your life. Do I look like a citizen of the kingdom? The good news comes to us right because that should push us to a, if we're being honest to a place of, of desperation, We need God's help. And in verse 13, we get the good news, which is what we close with. For it is God who works in you. Good news, right? Because I don't have it in me by myself to be humble like Jesus was. Right? In in verses 1 through 11, that spelled out the, the deep humility of Jesus. I can't do that with my own strength and power. I can't even live five minutes like that by myself. I don't have the strength, but it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Literally, literally, it is God who gives you the desire to look, sound, smell like a kingdom citizen. And it's God who makes you capable of looking, sounding, smelling like a kingdom citizen. you, I can't do it through the finished work of Jesus on the cross, which puts us in relationship with God, and through His power, we can. He can give us both the desire and the ability. And don't miss this. It's for His good pleasure. Nothing makes God happier than to see His children walking in His ways, walking with Him. And since He has the power to make you desire to live like a kingdom citizen, and He's the power to make you capable to look like a kingdom citizen, then it's good news that He's doing it for His own pleasure, right? Because that's just extra motivation for Him to do what He said He would do, or what Paul said He would do earlier in Philippians. He who began a good work in you will complete it in the day of Jesus Christ. They're excited about that next door. But it's all about God. He's the one who makes you passionate for the... uh, for being a kingdom citizen. He's the one who makes you capable of living like a kingdom citizen, and it makes him joyful to do so. And this is all possible because of Jesus. Jesus was in perfect unity with the Father. Remember him before he goes to the cross, saying, not my will, but yours be done. God, the Father, God, the Son operating in perfect unity. He displayed that. He's not calling us to something that he didn't display himself. Jesus was courageous. His face set like flint on his way to Jerusalem and his death. He modeled that for us. He didn't cling on to selfish ambition or conceit. Even the benefits uh, of of being worshiped in heaven, although that did not cease for him. he, He comes to this earth. He humbles himself. He takes up citizenship among us and lives here in this place. Jesus, who without grumbling or disputing lived a perfect life on this planet. Jesus, who proved in his life and death the biblical understanding of suffering that it can lead and be redeemed for the good of himself and others. Jesus, who for the invincible joy set before him endured the cross. And Jesus, who shined bright like a star in the universe, John 1, 1 1-5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And get this, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome. We don't shine bright because we are bright. We shine bright because our Father in heaven is bright. We shine bright because Jesus shined bright and made it possible for us to be brought into a relationship with God. And so you don't have to generate the light. You find the light in the presence of your Father. You find the light through the finished work of Jesus on the cross. And that can be yours today, but to all who did receive him, verse 12 of that same chapter, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. If you're not a Christian, you can be one today through faith in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Redeemed us, we said last week, from the curse of sin by becoming the curse so that we can be brought into a, a relationship with God. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says, you'll be saved. If you are a Christian, here's your homework assignments as we come to the end of these kingdom citizenship verses. I'm going to take them directly from the the passages that we've been in. The first is this. Find what I'm calling your point of desperation. Go back and read those verses again from 127 to 218. And they might all be points of, they probably, for me, are all points of growth for me, but what's the one that maybe sticks out to you the most? This is a place I need to grow as a Christian. Unity, courage, biblical understanding of suffering, humility, etc. What's the one, this week, that you will pray to God something like this, God, I need to be better at humility, make me better at humility. You can pray a lot longer prayer than that, certainly encouraged but at least to pray that this week. God, I, I need to be better at unity. Make me better at unity. So go back through those verses, or maybe it's something else in your own personal study of the Word of God that's been revealed to you. What is that point of desperation? I am failing in this area or struggling in this area. I need God's help to grow. What is that? This is just a more specific way of praying, Thy kingdom come, right? we pray, God, your kingdom be brought to bear in my life. We're just praying in specific ways that it be brought to bear. And then the second piece is memorize Philippians 2.13. Or at least write it on a post-it note and put it up on your mirror in your bathroom or, or put it uh, as a marker in your Bible. So that as you pursue that point of desperation, change in that area, you're reminded that it is the work of God in you that will pull it off. He's the one that will give you both the desire and the ability to make it so. Simple homework, not easy homework. You didn't hear me say easy homework. hear heard me say simple homework. Find that point of desperation. Ask God for his help in that area and memorize that verse or put verse 13 somewhere where you can be reminded it is God who works in me, both the desire to live like this and the make me capable to live like this. So that you can rest in that reality, not thinking you just got to grit it out and get better at something. You can lean into the power of God as you desire, change and seek change. Behaving like a citizen of heaven is an absolute must, but only God can make your desire make you desire and make you accomplish this requirement. So we trust Him. Father, might we trust you? Might we lean into your power and strength to grow in humility, to grow in unity? to grow in courage, to grow in our ability to leave behind grumbling and leave behind complaining and leave behind conceit and uh, selfish ambition and to see suffering through a biblical perspective, to obey your word, and on and on. May we rest in your power. May we rest in your strength to accomplish that. And might we look, smell, and sound like citizens of the kingdom? Might this group of people here be marked by the realities of transformation that come only through your power? And in that, might we shine bright in the places we live and work and play, representing the the truth that you are worthy of worship and that through the finished work of Jesus on the cross, our lives can can be transformed thanks for listening you can subscribe to this feed wherever you listen to podcast we exist to experience and embody redemption and renewal in christ alone and we'd love for you to experience what god is doing as jesus builds mercy village church connect with us online at www.mercyvillage.church